Well, I'm really pleased to be here. Um, I feel like in worship that already people are, are ready. So I'll try and get out of the way so we can respond to what God is doing. And I pray that what we share here is getting out of the way to respond to what God is doing. Part of that, if I'm not mistaken, over here, the prayer team, this, this side or this side? This side. So afterwards and, and the call and what this is leading to, this is an entree to the table. Uh, we're showing up at the place that God promises to be present, where mercy isn't merely an idea, mercy actually becomes a meal for us, where we're not given a theory but actually a table to gather around, which uh, leaves us not in control but overwhelmed with the kind of grace that um, isn't ours to pocket and commercialise and monetize, but is instead something that leaves our lives empty other than that same grace. And if you're feeling ready to respond to that, we're going to have space after we gather after Eucharist to respond. Um, I'm aware that a Pastor McKenna speaking here, I'm not sure the founders 200 years ago of this uh, very building would have had that in mind. It's a, it's a bit like um, that story, and I don't know whether it's true or uh, it's just a good tale of the Presbyterian church that had a vision of uh, Our Lady on the side of it which was incredibly awkward for the Catholics because they had been praying for such a vision and was also awkward for the Presbyterians who didn't know what to do with a picture of Our Lady on the side of their building. And uh, I want to acknowledge as we start that there are people here who are living out our, our call of mercy, um, those of us who are not just Catholic with a little C but a big C, who are worshipping with us and part of the healing. So Katie, I love you. I'm glad you're here. There's also people that if you're a young person and you're seeking uh, godly, humble examples of people who know what it is to experience God's mercy and live God's mercy, my friend Jim and Kitty are here today and I love you. I'm thankful for your diligent, slow, patient kindness that is witnessed on these streets and I just want to acknowledge you and thank you for your example. So if you're young and you're looking for mentors, people who would teach you to pray and know that that doesn't mean stages, but actually serving in silence where the lights aren't, but where Christ is, these are wonderful people to spend time with who know that mercy is at the centre of the gospel. And with your permission today, I know you're doing a series on the Beatitudes. I'd take for our text, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy but I'm not going to teach exegetically from Matthew's Gospel. I don't know about your Bible, but uh, the Sermon on the Mount is where the most grubbied finger stains are in my Bible. It's the part that opens naturally because of the amount of time that I spent in it. But uh, us charismatics, um, we pray in such ways that we hope every sermon we will be getting some fresh manna from heaven, but sometimes it feels like there's something hot out of the oven that changes the direction you go. So with your permission, I'd like to actually base as our text for our time together before we gather around the table. Exodus chapter 14, starting at verse 19. Exodus chapter 14, starting at verse 19, and we'll read 20 as well. If it isn't evident why this may link to mercy initially, we're going to be spending some time with the revelation that we see in Christ Jesus and understand why the early church and the patristic witness use this text to talk about the future of everything. And if that isn't evident for you initially, we'll spend some time talking about how we're not just made by mercy, 
How we're not just made for mercy. How we're not just saved by mercy and we're not just saved for mercy. But actually mercy is at the centre and is everything. One of the things that Dave and I share in common is a love for Thomas Merton. After I read this text, I'll read a poem inspired by Merton. And then we'll pray and get underway. Are we okay with that? Are we ready to receive? Do I need to pray for the gift of interpretation? People okay with the Australian accent? <laughs> Exodus chapter 14, starting at verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been travelling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel, throughout the night the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. In the formlessness of night and silence, a word then pronounced itself, mercy. In the darkness, luminous, mercy. In the silence, nothing, yet mercy. In the storm, still Mercy, Holy Trinity, mercy, mercy, mercy. In the depth of our own being, inexhaustible springs of mercy. In the chesed that binds reality, unbreakable strings of mercy. Can you hear Brother Merton? His final poem, his last book, at the end of, the lo- of his life, The Lord is mercy within mercy within mercy. Eternity, mercy, mercy, mercy. May we be to ourselves and to others sign and sacrament of nothing but mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for there is nothing but mercy. Lord, may the words on my lips and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for truly you are our rock and our redeemer. Holy Spirit, do your will. Do your will, Holy Spirit. May this sacred desk be flanked by your angels, one named grace, the other named mercy, who sing in constant praise of the Son who has come in mercy revealing mercy, calling us to our true nature to be agents of your mercy. We ask that this time would be nothing but a revelation of who you are in Christ Jesus, to the glory of the Father in the power of your Holy Spirit. That which stands in the way of us receiving the mercy that you have for us, that you are, that we are at our deepest Would you remove that from us and create in us an uncluttered heart to hear your words and to worship as we see you clearly. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, mercy, mercy, mercy. And all those who love God and want to love God more said, 
Amen. A stolen bike, the Sistine Chapel of the East, and an invitation to a table. I have worked for World Vision International for a number of years. Um, Some of you might be familiar with Common Grace, which in Australia I started, which is now over 42,000 Christians who are Eastern Orthodox, who are Catholic, who are Hillsong, who are uh, Presbyterian, who are Churches of Christ, who are Baptists, who are united together in a work that wants to see Jesus and justice be our only witness. And uh, often when I'm invited places, people are hoping to hear how we can mobilize the church. And what I want to leave you with is not techniques, but our teacher and what he teaches. And that's why I think it's so beautiful you're doing this series on the upside-down kingdom and the Beatitudes. And what I want to redeem for us is the Beatitudes aren't a set of high ideals. If I was to teach exegetically what I would bring us into in this space together is what is happening in the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel isn't a set of new ideals for us to strive for and aim for. Instead, it's a bit like social media. Social media where we check into places. And Jesus is saying, if you're looking for where God is showing up, this is where God rocks up. Blessed are you who are poor. Actually poor. Some of us will rush to say, Jared, it says poor in spirit. And whether we're reading inspired in the Aramaic by the Hebrew or we turn over to Luke 6 and we're reading it in the Sermon on the Plain instead of the Sermon on the Mount. Poor, yes, it means those who know their need internally, but it also just means poor. It means those parts in East Belfast. It means where my family are from, but also the parts on the other side of those peace walls that divide us. It means the kind of poverty that means people in our family are prone to join paramilitary groups because there are no jobs. That is what Jesus is saying is poor. And Jesus says those parts in our city which are the most problematic because the EU hasn't shown up there, the middle class reality that is so much of Belfast and moving with the different times, those places which are left out and whether it's bonfires where we adopt another identity or whether it's certain murals that say again join the IRA these are the places which we think are most cursed and yet Jesus is not talking about high ideals he's talking about real locations and blessed are the poor when I was uh, 22 any 22 year olds in the room as us preachers say I see that hand When I was 22, I moved back to Australia and I told my dad that um, I'm going to start an intentional community and we're going to take a vow of voluntary poverty. My dad uh, was born in Coleraine. He was part of a monastery in uh, Dublin and my dad had a vow of voluntary poverty. My dad told me, I've never had it so good. I've never lived so well until I took a vow of voluntary poverty. Because the monastic life was a better life, a more lush life, than how my dad grew up. My dad has seven brothers and four sisters, and you're like, wow, you really are from an Irish Catholic family. Literally every second drawer was a crib. That's the kind of poverty that they grew up in. And so when my dad took a vow of voluntary poverty, he had never had it so good. And my dad said to me when I came to him, talking about that our community who's moving into one of the roughest neighbourhoods in our city, dad said to me, Jared, if it's voluntary, it's not poverty. But some of us see these teachings and we see them as high ideals, things that we should aspire for. 
And there's a long and there's a beautiful tradition of that in the Western church, but there's no way that a Hebraic person could hear it in such a way. See, this isn't the good news of a new set of ideals. This is a good news of God's reality as coming crashing into the places we least expect it. This is a good news that blessed are those who are poor in spirit. If you mourn, that is not a good thing unless your heart is open to the pain of the world and there's a new reality breaking in that means your mourning isn't a waste of time but a longing and a desiring for things to change. This isn't a new ideal. It is instead a new call to be found in the places where God in Christ shows up. It's not a good thing to be hungry. It's not a good thing to be thirsty. And it's not a good career move to hunger and thirst for healing justice. You will waste your time and your lives with people who others think are a waste of time and a waste of life. But those who find themselves checking into the places where God has checked in, can anything good come from, what are your Nazareths? Not just in Belfast, but in these streets and these neighbourhoods, in your heart, what are the very places that you think God would never show up and yet the truth of the incarnation says, this is where God rocks up. This is where God is found. And we get to this line, blessed are the merciful. And if we think about it as a high ideal or a teaching that we need to implement if we try harder, not only will we miss miss the announcement of the kingdom, that God is turning all things upside down, and are we found in the place where we're found with the last because they get in first. And if you're found with the first, guess who moved to the back of the line? They're last. Suddenly we can hear that God is checking in to the places that we try and check out of. But some of us, if we're honest about this thing about if you're merciful, you will receive mercy, are like, well, God sounds like me. Not me at my best. Not at me at my most Christ-like. Not me in my most sanctified. But a quid pro quo, I do to them what they do to me. Have you spent time with that? Have you spent time with that in the sense of most of the New Testament, and Thomas Merton would insist that the atmosphere of the New Testament is the liberation of mercy. And most of the New Testament, like in Ephesians 5, it says, be imitators of God. And yet Jesus has a number of occasions, including a number of occasions in the Sermon on the Mount, where we're not commanded to be like God. But Jesus warns us, God will be like us. This is one of those passages. Be merciful, and you'll receive mercy. But at the end of the Lord's Prayer, it says, if you forgive those who forgive you, what? Matthew 6, 18, you will be forgiven. And 19, if you do not forgive those, guess what? God won't forgive you. And you're like, how are we to imitate a God who seems caught up in the same things that we need saving from? And this passage, it revolves around, can we let God be like Jesus? See, it is not only that we have turned the Sermon in the Mount into a set of high ideals and virtues for us to aspire to, instead of being found in the places where heaven comes crashing into the places that no one wants anything to do with. But instead of a gospel of heaven coming to earth, we teach us going to heaven 
And instead of a gospel that looks like Jesus, some of our tellings of the God revealed in Jesus look nothing like Jesus. Have you heard the presentations of the gospel where it sounds like one part of the Trinity needs to accept Jesus into his heart? Do do you know those kind of, if you were to die on the way home from here, where would you go? That God is loving and is given on of his son. And you're like, yes, I love his son. But the first person of the Holy Trinity needed to take it out on someone. There is some strange bloodlust like an Aztec god. And like the gods of a volcano needing a victim to be thrown into it, we have thrown in Jesus so we all don't spend time in the lava. And it's like, how have we taken the gospel of grace and turned it into something where God isn't love, but something less than love, but can be loving? And so the story about a bike and the story about Vera Nutz, the Sistine Chapel of the East, is my hope that we will hear a call to be what God is and get in on the places where God is on the move. Instead of harboring secret places in ourselves where we still think there is something in God that doesn't look like Jesus. The very doctrine of the Holy Trinity is to protect us against thinking that there is anything in the mystery of God that is less than like Christ. If you want to see the clearest picture of who the Father is, who do we look to? He is the image of the invisible God. And if we are to take this seriously, we can hear this teaching, not as a quid pro quo, but Miroslav Volf, do people know Miroslav Volf? Um, I had the honour years ago of speaking at a conference with Volf um, and he asked me afterwards do I have time to hang out, which for me is like, I mean, it, for you it might be like hanging out with LeBron James or Beyonce, but for me hanging out with Volf was like, yes, I've made it. And Volf says, um, so spiritually, where, where are you coming from? And I was like, well, I'm a sacramental charismatic who's an Anabaptist. And Wolf said to me, and this just warmed my heart, he goes, me too. I was like, yeah. And you're that kind of people, right, where the table is present for you in such ways that you know that the sinner's prayer wasn't a part of the church until the 19th century. And there's nothing wrong with that technology. But deeper than that, there's a call to actually be immersed, baptised in who Christ is and live that out in such ways that we expect in coming to the table, not in ways that we pull into Aristotelian logic and argue how is God present, but that just God promises to be present. And that sacraments are the places where grace promises to get at us. So why would we not open to that grace? And one of the things that Wolf says that means so much to me, that I want to change the way that we hear, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy, is he said, the only way to reject God's grace is to refuse to be a participant in God's grace. Mercy requires nothing but mercy. Again, mercy requires nothing but mercy. There is nothing in God that doesn't look like this loving kindness that we see in Jesus. And what is asked of us to leave behind, the blessing of the kingdom coming crashing in here, is that everything that isn't mercy is left behind. If we cannot forgive, we are not taking part in forgiveness. What God has done for us, God longs to do through us. 
The grace that saves us is the grace we're saved for. We are made by mercy, for mercy, saved by mercy, for mercy. And the only eschatology we are to hold on to, now there's a big word that I have trouble spelling, but most of the time when we talk about eschatology, we talk about end times, right? End times. And we miss that God has an end in mind, as in God has a purpose. God has a goal. History is going somewhere. And in Jesus, we see that end rush into our present. Where everything is going, we see in Jesus. The ridiculousness of a crucified God. Where John meditating on the reality of Christ's life seen through his resurrection can say, Dearly beloved, love one another, for love comes from God. Those who love have been born of God and know God. Those who do not love do not know God because God is love. If our understandings of the end of everything get in the way of something in God not looking like Jesus, the problem isn't Jesus. The problem is our theology. And many of us have theologies that need to bow the knee to Jesus Because the beauty of who God is revealed to be, that holiness, according to Jesus, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. That's Jesus saying that holiness is mercy. And if God looks something less than the tender, delivering kindness of compassion, then God looks something less than Jesus, and we're no longer Trinitarian. If we are made for mercy... By mercy, it means that our deepest self is the image of a God who is delivering kindness. It means that we are made for and long for what we see in Jesus. It means that, as Merton would say, at the heart of mercy is the mystery of the cross. But if we cannot articulate the cross as mercy, we will articulate the cross in ways that become monstrous. The Father does not turn his face away. The Father reveals his face this way. Jesus on the cross. That is who God is. That is where all history is going. And the reason why the merciful are blessed is because that is where the kingdom breaks out. And that is what, it's the substance of the kingdom. Mercy is the atmosphere of God's future. Whenever there is compassion in action, God is present because God revealed in Jesus is love. The power that we see as we contemplate the cross is the same power that raises Jesus from the grave. It is mercy upon mercy upon mercy. And what gets in the way is how we talk about hell. This is a option, a legitimate option, an option that was present amongst the early church. It might not be your theology, but you don't get to preach today. So what I want to share with you is a little bit about Vera Nutz and a little bit about my bike being stolen. I do that in such a way that you can hear these blessings, not as high ideals for you to strive for, but the reality that because of the resurrection, it's already here. You don't have to strive to be merciful. You're made in the image of mercy. And God's mercy has bought you, not from another part of God, who doesn't look like Jesus, but from sin, death, 
and Satan. God is not ransoming God. My brother here, if he had his coffee mug stolen from me and then he had to pay me for the ransom, he wouldn't thank me for giving his coffee mug back. That's not good news. Jesus is not the ransom paid to God by us. That's just paganism. Pagans will often teach in the ancient world that the gods or a god need to be appeased. So we give an innocent so their wrath can be appeased. If Psalm 7 is legit in terms of a Jewish understanding of wrath, well, we shouldn't curse God for dropping stones on our head when we throw rocks in the air. If wrath is just the consequence, as C.S. Lewis put it, that there are two kinds of people, those who pray, God, may your will be done, or those that eventually God says, okay, your will be done, then we can see that there's nothing we can do that changes who God is revealed as mercy. It's not that God is love and will accept us unless We reject God and then God goes after us. And what I want to do is allow us to understand blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. And that this is saying blessed are those who share in the image we are made of, the redemption we're bought by and God's future because to do mercy is to take part in mercy and it's a kingdom of mercy. There are nudes in Romania And the gift of working for World Vision is that I've been there four or five times now. Sistine Chapel of the East. And how the Orthodox depict the final judgment is very different from the Sistine Chapel in Italy that you find in the West. In the West, it is a picture of either you say yes to God's love or God gets angry and gives you wrath. But in the East, they use this text that you've just read which talks about the reality that is fire and a cloud and that for those on one side, it is light and for those on the other side, it is darkness. But it's the same cloud. It's the same fire. The fire doesn't change its nature. Those on one side turn to face the fire and it's received as redemption and those on the other side refuse to say yes to this fire of love and experience it as damnation. But the fire that flows on the outside of this cathedral from the throne of Christ and on one side are those who face it and experience redemption and on the other side turn away and experience it as darkness. This is the text that the early church used to talk about that blessed are those who are merciful for they shall receive mercy because we can't say yes to God's love while refusing to participate in God's love. Redemption is actually, has, it has content. There's legs to it. It's not just a ticket. It's not just you given a set of keys. There is something for you to drive into. We have forgotten our vocation as a people who have said yes to God's love and know that we are called to live God's love. What would it do to our theologies if we understood, as George MacDonald did, as C.S. Lewis did, as over 300 million Orthodox Christians do today, as many of the church fathers do, 
that God does not change God's nature. God's nature is revealed to be mercy. But what changes is our experience of it. So the question, in even moments as simple as Sunday mornings like this, have I turned and could I dare to believe in mercy for me, for my neighbours, for my streets? Do I dare to believe the kindness person in my life? Is God at least as kind as them? All the way down. And maybe could I have the faith to believe that God is the kind of kindness we see in Jesus? It's like there is an invitation to a table where the fire that flows from that table is nothing but mercy. And those that know there is nothing that disqualifies you and nothing that qualifies you and nothing that changes the nature of that fire, which is love. But there's no way to receive it without being transformed by it, so you have to participate in it or you shut yourself out of it. C.S. Lewis insisted that the gates of hell are locked from the inside. What if mercy is the future of everything revealed to us in Christ Jesus? What if at the... In the middle of the mystery of mercy is the mystery of the cross. And that God's judgment, God's verdict is this. Light has come into the world. But we love darkness. What is it for us to turn and welcome God's mercy and light? A stolen bike. I promised the story of a stolen bike before we finish. I live at First Home Project. Um, the last six years I've lived with over 100 uh, recently arrived asylum seekers and refugees. Uh, some of you know about me being snuck into Manus Detention Centre and uh, being on Al Jazeera and on the BBC and on the ABC at home showing what the Australian government is actually doing. Um, the reason why I do that is because I believe God is revealed to be mercy in Jesus the hospitality, the welcome that I've received in Jesus, those seeking safety deserve as they come to Australia. And so my own home, and the last 15 years of my life have been living with those who are otherwise drug addicted or just coming out of prison. And that's just been my daily life. I've never been paid for that work. It's just what we're called to. And it's a joy. The best kept secret of discipleship, as Jim and Kitty know, is that as hard as it is, and it is heartbreaking, blessed are you when you show up in the places Jesus shows up, hang up with the kind of people Jesus hangs out with, where your heart breaks for the things God's heart breaks for, and you realise that it's only the heart that breaks that can actually contain and play guest and be hospitable to God's mercy. And so one night, uh, I'm preparing, and I'm a pastor at home, and I'm preparing my sermon, and the power goes out. And it's one of those nights where it's pitch black, a lot of cloud cover, and it's raining. Uh, You'd call that a lovely day. We'd call that winter. And I go outside into the pitch black, and at First Home Project, um, at its largest, there were 27 of us living there in my home. Uh, At the time when this happened, there was 12 of us. There's still 12 of us currently. And I go out and I see somebody with a white bike in the vacant block next to my place. And I go, oi, 
which is Australian for give me your attention. You write, which is an honest query about are you doing okay? At that point, the person looks up and moves further into the darkness. And I realize that's not any white bike, that's my bike. So impulsively, the power's gone out. I've gone outside to turn my power back on. So I'm looking for the clipsal switch around the front. I see this guy. I find out that he's got my bike. And so, like an idiot, I start running towards him. I pull out my phone, and I'm shining a light in his direction. And as I get closer, it's definitely my bike, and he's definitely much bigger than me. And I suddenly realize this is the most stupid, dangerous thing I could do. Somebody is stealing from my house, and I'm running after them armed with an iPhone light. And so I get within like a couple of meters, realize this is a really bad idea. He's got nowhere to go because of the creek that borders first home project where I live. And so unless he gets a Red Sea kind of miracle and he's moving through to the other side, he's trapped and I'm trapped and he's feeling threatened and he's bigger than me. So in that moment, I turn my phone around and I shine it on me and I'm trying to backpedal because He's got my pedals. You know where this is going, right? So I say to him, that's my bike. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, I need to pay off a drug dealer, but I tell you what, if I get more than I need, I'll bring you the extra. I wasn't feeling the anointing. And my response is, no, that's my bike. And in that moment, things started to escalate. But with the light shone on me so he can see I'm smaller and I'm not trying to threaten him, I say to him, do you know what grace is? And he's like, nah. I'm like, like amazing grace. And he's like, oh, grace is when we get what we don't deserve so that we can be different. He's like, right. And he's realizing that I'm a God botherer and so he's like stealing my bike, here's here's a sermon. Like it's not a bad trade-off. And I say to him, you're not stealing my bike. I'm giving you my bike. This is grace. His response to me, with a genuine offer, A, because I'm a little threatened, but B, hopefully the Holy Spirit has got some move, room to move in there. I'm like, you can have my bike. And his response is, I'll put the bike back. And I'm like, no, 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 you can take the bike. The bike is yours. And he's like, oh, I'll put it back. And I'm like, I've just said you can take the bike. And he's like, you've called the cops. I'm like, what? He's like, you've called the cops. You're just trying to delay me here so the cops arrive and arrest me. Call this cop. I'm like, I haven't called the cops. You can have my bike. Now I'm arguing with him for him to take my bike. I'm like, take my bike. And he wants to argue. And it's raining and it's cold and like it's late and my power is still off. And I said to him, I'm going to turn the kettle on. First, I need to turn the power on. If you want a cup of something warm, come up to the house. And I turn around and I turn back and I said, do you got a, have you got a place to stay tonight? And he's like, no. I'm like, do you need a place to stay tonight? He's like, why? I'm like, I've got a pull-out bed that's on the veranda. And he goes, I know. I'm like, how do you know? And he's like, I saw it when I stole the bike. <laughs> I was like, right. So as you know, I have a pull-out bed. Um, it, it's set up. I'll get you some warm sheets and um, a sleeping bag. You can sleep there. I'll get you a cup of something warm and you can get into some dry clothes. He's like, nah, it's cool. I'll leave the bike. I'm like, mate, regardless, I'm getting out of the rain. I'm turning the power on. If you want to come up, I'll make you a cup or something warm and I'll see you up there. 
So I turn on the power and I, I go back up to the house. And he's actually up there and close to, um, I'm, I live around the back. Uh, he's at the other door. And some of uh, my friends like Talib, their bikes are at the front and they're locked up. And he's like, I want this bike. I'm like, mate, that's not even my bike to give. If you steal Talib's bike, I have to call the cops. I can't, I can't be gracious with other people's stuff. That's not fair. And he's like, yeah, it's got better brakes on. I'm like, bro, I get it. You can have my bike. That's the only offer. That's like, do you want a cup? Or he's like, yeah, coffee. So I make him a coffee. I make up the bed. I get him some dry clothes that I was going to just take to the op shop, the thrift store. What do you guys call it? The charity, charity shop. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm just removing the middleman. It's a good move for me. Um, he gets dry clothes. I go to bed and he is getting into dry clothes and he's sitting on the bed outside with a cup of something hot. And I say, in the morning, before I go to church, you're welcome to come to church with me. Maybe we can get some breakfast. And I put the blinds down and I lock my door and I move the spare key inside um, because gentle as doves but also wise as serpents. I get up in the morning and he's gone. And the saddest thing about him being gone is he's gotten back into his wet clothes that he changed out of and he's just left the dry clothes there. It doesn't look like he slept in the bed at all. And it looks like he had like one mouthful and that's it. Jesus says, those of us who are parents, even though our hearts are often evil, if we give good gifts to our kids, if they ask for bread, who serves up a stone? Who gives a scorpion in response to real need? If that's what we're like, Jesus dares us, imagine the one I call Abba is at least as kind as you at your best. And yet when we come to thinking about heaven and hell and the restoration of all things, we move from a gospel of the kingdom flooding earth and suddenly there are parts of God that don't look like Jesus because we don't know how to read verses through the life of Jesus. My heart towards this young guy, as messed up and as problematic as Jared is, is that he would know healing, right? That he would find safety, my offer to him is nothing but hospitality. My offer to him is a warm drink, a dry bed, new clothes, and a meal in the morning. The incarnation is God's offer of hospitality to us. To be merciful is to say yes to our vocation, our call who we're made in the image of. And the reason why we receive mercy is because mercy is the flow of the Holy Trinity and the way we get in is through mercy and the way that we get on is through mercy and all of discipleship is mercy upon mercy upon mercy. And if that is true of us, well, maybe like the cloud of fire, those on one side who want to be down with God's liberating mercy for all things, it's experienced as the fire that saves. But for those of us who can't trust that mercy is genuine, who think that there is something in God's hiding somewhere that doesn't look like Jesus, 
who has a theory of God being a monster and puts Jesus in it, instead of having mysteries of which we can talk of with tears in our eyes as we tell of how all of it fits like Jesus and invite people in. God's offer is to take part in mercy. It's all mercy. There is nothing in God that isn't mercy. You are made for mercy. You are created for compassion. Your vocation is to live the love that saves us in witness to that love. For one day, that love will be all in all. God's heart, like kids running around the sanctuary, is that we would play in mercy. Can we open to that kind of love? Can we dare to believe that God's offer is that we are hungry and he feeds us? That we are thirsty and he gives us to drink. That God does not overcome evil with evil. But on the cross, God overcomes evil with good. Friends, the cross is not the victory of sin and death and Satan and injustice and violence. The cross is the victory of mercy over sin and death and Satan and injustice and violence at the nail-scarred hands of God. And that is the foolishness. And we've only got Christ and him crucified to preach and it's nothing but mercy. As we draw near to the table, the invitation is to trust that God is as good as Jesus. That there is nothing in God that doesn't look like Jesus. And the reason why the merciful are blessed is because they're living out of what we're made by, what we're made for, what we're saved by, and what we're saved for. All of history will one day be flooded with the mercy that is God. But there are serious consequences for those of us who can't trust that mercy runs all the way down. The gates of hell are locked from the inside. Jesus never talks about hell to those who are outside those who understand themselves as insiders, while most preachers talk to outsiders, say, come and get in through fear tactics and talk about hell. Jesus never talks about hell like that. With the exception of passages that are to do with the consequences of lust, every other time in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus is talking about hell. He's talking about how we respond to the lost, the last, the least, the left out, the looked over. And that's because if we can't see Christ camouflaged as those who are needy, we don't understand that God meets us in our need and shows us mercy. We're saved by grace. And Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats is a story of grace. And both sides say, when do we see you? Hungry, thirsty, imprisoned, a refugee, sick. And both sides get the answer, that was me. The way we get in is we open to mercy. And what we get into is the reality of the Holy Trinity that makes our whole lives sing with mercy. And that's why I want to hold out the humble example of Kitty and Jim. People who throughout the troubled times of 
this troubled land, have sought to just be people of mercy, while others have said, you should build a bigger church. You should go where the action is. And instead, they went where Christ is camouflaged. Christ leaves us not with a theory, but with a table. Not with some model, but with a meal. Christ's altar call is to come and meet him at the table. Come to the table of mercy, prepared around this room with wine and bread. Come you are hungry and thirsty. Come and your souls will be fed. Come at the Lord's invitation, prepared with his nail-scarred hands. Eat of the bread of salvation. Drink of the blood of the Lamb. Can you say yes to mercy in this moment? Because it's your destiny. And how we respond to each other tells us how we've responded to eternity, which offers us mercy. Much like Jesus checking in in Beatitudes, eternity is God's mercy. And for those who can humble themselves and say yes to such a love, it's heaven. And for those who can't bring themselves to believe, the same invitation of hospitality. If we don't want love, it's a gospel that these streets need. It's a gospel that looks like a God who is the Holy Trinity. Let me pray and invite us to the table. Most merciful God, God who is mercy, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, and in deed. We have not returned your mercy with mercy. We have not loved you with our whole heart and we have not shown mercy to our neighbours, the strangers and our enemies as you have shown us mercy. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, we humbly repent that we might walk in your will and delight in your ways around these tables now, Lord, as a people. May we hear that you have nothing for us but the power of your presence which raises the dead and that power is mercy. This is the table, not of the church but of the Lord. It's prepared for all those who love God and those who want to love God more. So if you can open to mercy, come. You who have been here often and you who come here today for the first time. You who have tried to follow Jesus. You who have failed in following Jesus. And you who have just decided to follow Jesus. Come. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Let nothing rob you of the mercy that promises to be present. Leave judgment behind. Receive mercy. 
leave indifference behind in the eyes of others recognize God's family if necessary run away go be a forgiver then run back because it is Christ that invites you and it is God's will through the power of the Holy Spirit that you may encounter God's mercy here so as I hand back over to the team and we gather around this bread and wine come receive mercy it's eternity